0: We are at the end of a series, The Quest for Amos. Every so often during the year, we like to go back to the Old Testament and look at the book that no one pays attention to. But You know, really, if you're a Christian, you spend most of your time in the New Testament. You can be honest with yourself and with me. If you're reading the text, chances are you're reading the New Testament or maybe Psalms. We forget about the Old Testament, the bigger section of the Bible. We forget about the things that came in order to prepare the way for Christ because we spend all of our time up in the NT. So every now and then we like to go back to the OT, not the OC, they're canceled, the OT. So this year we've gone back to look at Amos and Amos is one of those prophets that, as I've said, is not a, you know, celebrity prophet, but for me, it is a tremendously important book. And maybe it's just at this time in my life because I've read Amos before and it's never struck me as hard as it did recently when I begin to read it again anew. Over the past couple of weeks, what we've talked about is everybody's called to something. Each one of us has been given gifts and opportunities in our life and we've taken these different paths and God has used them. And so we've come out at this moment and this time and God wants to use us in ministry somewhere. Each one of us. Not all of us are called to professional ministry. Not everybody's called to be a worship leader. But we're all called to serve God somewhere. In our families. At jobs that we have. In our community at large. Wherever it is, God's called each of us to serve Him. And He's given each of us something to contribute to the body of Christ. And then last week we talked about phoning it in. Really, you know, if if you've seen that call and you know that call... And you're kind of walking towards it. Sometimes we fall into that trap of just kind of phoning it in. We just kind of put it on cruise control, autopilot our relationship with Christ. Sure, we come on Sunday, we sing the songs, we pray the prayers, but we don't really get it. We're not really feeling it. We're, we're up here and not here. It's not that heart Christianity. It's not that true relationship with Jesus Christ, with God that he, lo- that he just loves and just desires so much. And so this week, we're going to go back in Amos to move forward. And basically, you know, where do you lead? Where does it go from there? You find your calling. You find out that, okay, I need to be involved in my relationship. I need to take it personally because God did on the cross. So I need to get involved in it. Okay, what now? What do I do now? That's the next step. It's the next step in finding your calling, finding your passion for Christ. And then what do you do about it? If you remember the people of Israel at this time that Amos is writing and Amos is giving his prophetic visions, it's a great time to be an Israeli citizen. It is a great time to live in that country because they've had peace for years. Because of that, they've had prosperity and they've grown as a country. Take that back. It's a great time to be a certain part of the kingdom of Israel. There was a time when the elite of society were getting more and more and more. They were building second homes. They were uh, just taking it to the extreme and the extravagant side. But then there was this other side of society that we talked about. The side that was being oppressed. The side that Amos knew personally. There are these two different parts of Israel. If you look in chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Amos... These are the condemnation things. This is when Amos is giving God's word saying, okay, this country, this is how you've sinned against me. And this is what I'm going to do. This country, this is what you've done to me. So here's what I'm going to do to you. And he does one sin for every country, but then he gets to Judah and Israel in chapter two, verse six, he gets to verse four. He gets to Judah and Israel and Judah and Israel, Israel, especially he treats a little differently. I think it's because he expects more from them. His chosen people, his beloved children, Israel, he expects so much more from, so he treats them differently. Verse 4, this is what the Lord says. The people of Judah have sinned again and again, and I will not forget it. I will not let them go unpunished any longer. They have rejected the laws of the Lord, refusing to obey him. They have rejected God, refusing to obey him. They have been led astray by the same lies that deceived their ancestors. So I will send down fire on Judah, and all the fortresses of Jerusalem will be destroyed. Judah's sin is they have rejected God. Maybe not in practice, because maybe they were going through the motions like we read about in a few chapters. Maybe they were going to the temple, and they were making their sacrifices and their offerings, and they were going and singing the songs, and they were going and praying the prayers, but they didn't believe it. They didn't feel it. They were doing that because that's what you did. They were doing that because in their world, in their community, that was one of the motions that you went through. Sometimes this church is known as, if you want to be seen, you come to our church. If you want to win an election at Alamo Heights, you've got to show up at Alamo Heights United you know, Methodist Church. You laugh because it's true. The people of Judah turn their back on God. It gets into Israel. This is what the Lord says. The people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will not forget it. I will not let them go unpunished any longer. They have perverted justice by selling honest people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. They trample helpless people in the dust and deny justice to those who are oppressed. Both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. At the religious festivals, they lounge around in clothing stolen from their debtors in the house of their God. They present offerings of wine purchased with stolen money. Seems like the people of Israel have lost their way too. The people of Israel have, it says, perverted. They have perverted God's word. They have perverted justice. They have trampled the helpless people. What's going on here in Israel? The elite of society have chosen To do what's best for them. The elite of that world have chosen to look out for themselves. To get theirs. And they're forgetting everyone else. And they're using everyone else to get it. This speaks of slave trade. It speaks of sexual slave trade. It speaks of oppression. It speaks of horrifying things. I say that this was such a powerful book to me because as I read it, I saw a lot of what I am doing in my own world, and I saw a lot of what is going on in our world today. And as I said from the very beginning, this book, the series, might just be for me, but I don't think so. Did you know that there are 27 million slaves in the world today? There are more slaves held in captivity today than at any other time in the history of the world. 27 million people, men, women, and children held in slavery throughout the world. I didn't know this. Had no clue. Maybe I don't watch enough Dateline or something, but I didn't know that this was such a tremendous problem in our world. 27 million people. That's the state of Texas almost. Every one of us in slavery being forced to do labor that we don't want to do or worse. When I was at this conference in Atlanta, I became aware of this. One of the speakers that we had was speaking about this. He has an organization called Not For Sale, and he started a campaign to end world slavery at the time that that movie Amazing Grace came out, just recently, you know, the the movie about William Wilberforce, who was instrumental in ending slavery in Britain 200 years ago this year, that movie came out, and he started this campaign along with it to end world slavery. 27 million people in slavery. I, I don't know if if you're a parent or not, but imagine going to bed one night, your family goes to bed, you're all sleeping, it's quiet darkness some men come in quietly they put their hands over the mouths of your children and they take them from your home they carry them across borders hundreds of miles thousands of miles away and force them to fight or force them to perform sexual acts You wake up the next morning and your kids are gone. You have no idea what happened to them. Of course, you probably do know. Imagine what that feeling must be like for a parent to have their child stolen away from them. And yet it goes on today throughout this world. And here's the shocking thing for me here's my naivety. It happens here. It happens here in the United States. It happens here in San Antonio. There are people being held against their will in our own city. Did you know this? I didn't know this. Maybe I'm just blind. Maybe I don't want to see it. Maybe I've heard it and have blocked it out and erased it from my mind because it's too horrible for me to think about. But there's slavery that goes on in our cities across America. The greatest, most powerful nation in the world, we still don't get it. But we sweep it under the rug. We don't want to talk about it because it's ugly, it's painful to hear, but it's real. Across the globe, there are 840 million people who are malnourished, who don't have enough to eat. 840 million people who don't have enough to eat. Every 21 minutes, every minute, excuse me, 21 children die because they don't have enough to eat. Every minute, the clock just struck another minute. 21 kids just died because they don't have enough to eat. Six million children under the age of five will die this year because they don't have enough to eat. Six million kids under the age of five. I have one child under the age of five and another one on the way. It's horrifying. It's not just a world problem. You might think that's Africa, that's South America. Ten million Americans, including four million children, are hungry, go to bed hungry each night. Ten million Americans, the wealthiest nation ever, Ten million people in our in our country go to bed hungry. People are having to choose between medicine and food. The greatest generation is put into a position where they either can pay for their drugs or they pay for their food, both of which they need desperately. In our own backyard, this goes on. Across the world, there is not clean water for people to survive. People are dying of water-related uh, illnesses and diseases that we wiped out years ago in the States. But across the world, they're still dealing with them. This is a sobering topic. All of these things are horrifying to hear. All of these things are painful to hear. I know some of you are going, oh, you're just preaching at me, blah, blah, blah. I know it. Because for me, that's what I w- that's who I was. I would listen to the stats. I would listen to those, as I call them, flaming liberals over there, always saying we're horrible and you're horrible and stuff, and and hear those things, and just in one ear and out the other. But here's the thing that I think strikes home with me. God goes on to talk to the people of Israel, and in verse 9, and he reminds them of the things that he has done for them. He reminds them of who he is and whose they are. Remember when I brought you out of Egypt? Remember that? You were in slavery. I brought you out. I freed you. Remember the time that you needed food? I gave it to you. Remember the time that you were up against this, this country in this battle? Who beat them? I did. For you. And now what are you doing? You're turning your back on the least of these. You're turning your back on the people that I sent you to serve. If I've given you a lot, it's because I expect you to give it back. Jesus Christ didn't come and hang out with the rich of society, did he? Sure, on occasion, he was with some wealthy people. But for the most part, he was with the people no one else wanted to talk to. He was with the people that no one else wanted to touch or to be near. Many times people said, why are you eating with that person? Why are you speaking with that person? Why would you allow that person to even touch you? And Jesus said, because I came for them. They're the very people I'm here for. The people who need me the most. And as he sent out the disciples saying, go and be me to the world. He didn't expect us to sit in our high horse, in our homes, in our beautiful places and palaces... And to ignore the people that need us the most. When he said go, he didn't mean just go to Alamo Heights. He meant go underneath the bridge and feed my sheep. Go give somebody clothes that needs it. Step out of your comfort zone and your world and experience me. That's the thing that we as Christians sometimes tend to forget. We tend to work on our relationship with God and we tend to grow in our relationship with Christ and do the the studies and the Bible studies and the small groups and the worship and the prayer and we come for communion and all those different things, but we forget that God has sent us here for a purpose. We We forget that God wants us to be in relationship with one another and it's not just people that look like us and that live in our neighborhoods, it's people all around this city, all around this community, and all around the world that he wants us to be in relationship with. If we say no to someone, we're saying no to a child of God. So where do you start? 27 million people, do we all go out and free them right now? No. I'm not... I'm not so blinded that I can't see, that it's a tremendous fight and battle. I read a stat somewhere once, Barna came out with it, that I believe it was if every Christian, every professing Christian raised their tithe by I think 3%, Mark nod your head if you remember this, 3% that world hunger would end If you gave just 3%, it was either 1% or 3%, it was some negligible number. If every Christian raised their tithe, not to a full 10% tithe, but just raised it 1% or 3%, we could wipe out world hunger forever. It takes so many billions or a trillion or something dollars to end it, and we could do that if we just raised it a little bit. That's it. You could end world hunger. There would never be a child that would go to bed hungry again. There would never be a child. In this next minute, 21 kids wouldn't die anymore. we got together and we created the power that God has given us through the Holy Spirit, if we became the body of Christ like he truly wants us to be, imagine what we could do. Imagine what we could do. End pain and suffering in the world. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe we could end the slavery if we fought together. The first step is sometimes the hardest because there's so much, and there's so great a need, and there's so many things out there, and there's so many agencies saying, give us your money and do this, or come over here and volunteer here, and we'll help there. Where do you start? You've got to start somewhere where you feel God's leading you. You've got to go back to the first Sunday in this series and find out where God's calling you and where your passion lies and where he has put you to serve. Start small. Don't jump in by, and it's not all about giving money, by the way. It's about giving your time and serving. If you want, go once a month under the bridge with our Fishing Under the Bridge program and serve food. Sit and talk with somebody down there. If you don't want to do that, we have a room back here, F103, three days a week. You can come once a month, once every so often, and serve. It's called the Hope Center. And what we do is if somebody's in desperate need of food, we give it to them. If they need some clothes, we give them some clothes. But more importantly, we help them get back on their feet. We help them get connected with the people and the agencies that are experts in that. And we walk them through it prayerfully. If you don't want to do that, pick up one of these in the back, jump in and get connected. It's full of different opportunities to serve around our community. Different places, different ministries that we have here on campus that you probably have never heard about but you can go and start changing the world a little bit at a time through these things. Or maybe you want to reach globally. Jenna and I have have started this thing recently that we are trying to build a well in Rwanda, a water well. She and I are going to go over there with shovels and pickaxes and just start digging. There's this organization called Clean Water, and for $3,000, they will build a well so that 72 families, a village, can get water, healthy water, so that the women and the children don't have to walk for miles with jugs on their head to get water that may not be clean. It's $3,000. bucks. we are not rolling in it over at the Crocker House, so the way we're going to do it is just by collecting our change. I don't know if you're like me if you don't like to have change in your pocket and you never spend change and so you put it different places. I think my truck gets about five miles less to the gallon because of how much change I'm carrying around. It's like it lowers down every time I go through somewhere and just put more and more change in my center console. I don't, no telling how much money is in there in change. Just going to put it into a little jug, kind of keep track of it. When we get to 3000 bucks, turn into the bank, send the money off, and save some children's lives. It's not like we're doing anything different. I don't spend that money. It just sits around. I know that there's change out there worth. I think Oprah said one guy collected a million dollars worth of change. It's on Oprah. It's got to be true, right? Just something like that. Somebody in the first service had an idea we have around our campus. Well, we used to. We don't use them anymore. uh, Big Ozarka jugs. And we may just set one back on the the table back there. And any time you think of it, when you're here in service, just walk by. You have change in your pocket. Drop it in. Just walk out. That's it. If it's a penny, great. Remember what Jesus said about the widow who gave away her last penny. Doesn't take much to impress God. Doesn't take take much to be a part of the body of Christ. There's, there's so much out there that needs to be done. And I know it's overwhelming. And I know it's sometimes scary. And I know it's sometimes for me. I focus so much on myself and my own life and my own problems and our own direction that I can put blinders on. And I forget to see the rest of the world. And I forget to hear the voice of God calling me. Michael, it's not just about you. There are other things you can do. Pray for a child. Pray for the children of Africa. Pray for the children of the United States that are hungry. Donate food to the San Antonio Food Bank. You have an extra can of lima beans? Nobody likes those anyway. Take them down there. Do something. And I've heard God telling me that so often over the past few months. Do something. Do something. It's not about you. Because maybe it's just me. I have a tendency to make it about me. I have a tendency to turn inward and to get mine. The worship team's coming up right now and, and they're singing a song. I didn't know the song that they were singing um, during the communion time uh, until they actually played it. But there's a line in there that says says this if i say i love you i will do what you say if i say i love you i will do what you say i will obey you and surrender all i love that if i truly say that i am a follower of christ if i truly say that i am surrendering my life to him then it can no longer be just about me because it certainly wasn't all about jesus it was about each one of us my encouragement for you is to hear the words of god calling you into the community to be his hands and feet to answer that call if you're helping with communion i ask that you would please come forward at this time Every other month we have an opportunity in our community to truly experience the love and power of Jesus Christ firsthand, real. Every every other month we have the opportunity to come forward and to have Jesus Christ, blood and flesh, become one with us. That's where your strength comes from through the power of christ through the holy spirit it's through consuming the body and blood of jesus christ remembering his death and resurrection and the freedom that comes believing his presence that's where the strength comes from to go into the world and to be his hands and feet it was the disciples who sat around the table with him first on the night before he would be betrayed They sat around the table with him, their master, their teacher, their Messiah. And as they had that holy communion with him, they were given the power and the strength to go and change the world. They were just boys, and they changed the world. We too have that opportunity today as we remember the night that Jesus sat with his disciples and he took the bread. And he blessed God for it and he broke it and he said take this eat all of you this is my body which is given for you after supper he took the cup and he raised it to God giving thanks to him He said take this drink all of you this is my blood the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many as often as you drink this do so in remembrance of me heavenly father we come to you this morning with thankful hearts for the death and resurrection for the salvation that comes with knowing you, and for the opportunity and calling that you have given each of us to move into the world, to be your hands and feet. Make for us, Lord, your body and your blood as we come to experience you and to become one with you. In Jesus' name, amen.